Hello, welcome back to another episode of First Generation Bowhunter. This is episode 66. I've got Grady here with me with Loa Boots. Grady is a newer bow hunter. He comes from more of a rifle, shotgun background, but he, he said he's he's just joined kind of the bow hunting madness. And I'm glad you're here, Grady. No, thank you for having me on. It's great to get some message out there and hopefully learn a thing or two because my bow hunts have not been as successful as my rifle hunts. Oh man, dude, tell me about it. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing struggle and conversation and it's kind of the premise of the the podcast and everything. And But yeah, super uh, curious to hear kind of your take on it. You, you said you've been just getting started in bow hunting for three years. What's that been like? Um, At first, it was awesome because i had these images in my head of oh like just i'm so used to rifle hunting being able to reach out and touch the animal versus with a bow where your range is so drastically limited and you got to factor in your draw and not spooking the animal and stuff like that so i had all these ideas of glory going on like i'll harvest a great white tail it'd be super successful and it's ended up being a lot more practicing my calling moving slower and patience building, honestly. That's what I've learned so far from bow hunting. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. In, in what area are you hunting, just so people know, just kind of context? Well, I'm in the northeast region of the United States, so it's primarily whitetail. Some people do go after turkey with a bow. Maybe I'll try that. I have not tried that yet. Turkey bow hunting is super fun because... Really? I'm going to try it this spring. It, it's it's challenging, but like if you make it happen... Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's just a fun kind of, you know, thing to add to your, your memory bank. It, it, it's, it's a fun one. So yeah, see if you can slip that one in. Uh, I've got a few episodes on turkey hunting with a bow. You know, I was going through and scrolling through the episodes this morning. I'll probably listen to one this afternoon while I do some emails. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great time. I, and you know, I haven't done a lot of like sitting and waiting for them to come in. So I think if, that's the kind of area you're in. That's great. I've actually done more spot and stock on Turkey mm-hmm. um, because I don't know the areas I go there. I kind of know like the two or three draws that are going to come in and mm-hmm. I just kind of go after them and I'll take like a 40, 50 yard shot. <laughs> I don't know. Outrageous. It's, I mean, with a Turkey, it's still have enough power to take them down at 60 yards, I suppose pretty easily. Oh yeah. I mean, if you can get a good core body shot, it's, mm-hmm. it's totally fine. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. What, what's been more of a more memorable hunt for you with Bo, uh, in so these last few years? Bo, I'd have to say, I believe it was last Bo season. So Pennsylvania, my buddies has an apple orchard down there. So we hunt there a lot and Pennsylvania does a late season bow. So it's after Christmas. It's like late December, early January. So we went down for that, and he has a blind that's situated up on this little rise. It's overlooking a nice flat field with some normally hay growing up, but in the winter, obviously, it's all dead and flat. So you probably have 80 yards of clear field in front of you, and then off to your left, you have a pretty heavily forested embankment, and then maybe there's this little path that runs past the blind, but the visibility is super limited. So we've been sitting there all day. We've been calling, and there's been this buck who's been popping out of the forest, looking at us. We call. He walks away. keeps coming back. So we're getting closer to the end of the day. We probably only have an hour, maybe hour and a half of good daylight left. So we're sitting there, 
we're calling the bucks coming across the field coming across the field he starts stamping he's acting skittish so we keep calling this whole time we're not paying attention there's a much bigger buck directly to the left of the blind which is what's freaking the other buck out <laughs> like a solid eight pointer nice thick tines just a big body and we're calling and we're calling and we're we're so focused on this buck across the field we're like hi just come get in under 50 yards get under 50 yards so we can take the shot and finally he stomps he tries to do his little show off to get the other buck to move and then he turns and dashes into the woods and at this point it's pretty close to dusk if we're gonna take a shot we probably have 30 minutes i'm like all right we're calling it nothing's moving we open up the blind we go to step out and this monster buck is just standing there and so i try to get my bow up and draw a shot and as i'm coming up i'm knocking my arrow i'm pulling back and he just hauls it into the woods and that buck had to have been standing there maybe 15 yards from our spot oh my god 45 minutes just poor visibility completely hampered that hunt. And it was just so memorable because we were having such trouble getting a buck into our effective kill range. <laughs> and there was one standing there that whole time. So was your window just not faced at him or were you exactly. just, so okay. Had, we had like, um, it was almost like a U or on the front. I think he was just past the back left side of that. Oh, those are the hunts you remember. Oh, exactly. And looking back, we, we joked about it the whole way back to the cabin. It was a great memory just because we were like, wow, we're such idiots. Like we could have harvested that deer and called a day, had a great hunt. Like, (laughs) but I don't know. It was fun. That's pretty cool. What kind of calling are you doing? Mostly with a blower. Okay. Like a doe bleat type. Yeah. Doe bleat. That's cool. Yeah, I I love having something like that in my pocket because Utah is more spot and stock. I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I've ever really sat and waited for an animal to come in. I don't – gosh. I mean, I think of all the times I've killed an animal. I don't think I've ever really sat there. But the nice thing about the Dobley is when you're moving, you can kind of mask some louder movements where you have mm-hmm. to like cross areas. And it, they, you know, they think, oh, you're, uh, you're, um, you know, so, another deer just kind of passing mm-hmm. through. So it's kind of cool. But. So the last time we were down in Pennsylvania, because we'd had no luck with the sitting and waiting, we tried to do some spot stalking and movement. But the issue we have is the way the property set up is you have these dense groves of trees and a big open field. And so we had success moving through the trees. But then whenever we get to the fields, I think we start to struggle with moving quiet enough and getting within that 30 to 50 yards to make a clean kill shot. We always end up spooking them or yeah. it's something we're still working on. So have you had the opportunity to take a shot yet or what's that been like? So the one time I did have an opportunity to take a shot, I went high. Oh, I think I was breathing too fast and didn't take my time to center, line everything up stood up because the way you have to sit in the blind you can't draw drew back took a couple seconds to breathe and released and it went right over its back uh that sounds like my first one when i missed shot over i was in a blind oh no okay so i have shot at animals waiting in a blind it was in nebraska okay 
gosh, that was my first hunt. How did I forget that? I just did an episode on that with the guy who took me. Um, yeah, it, it's tricky. I mean, it's, you know, when you're doing a blind thing, you've got to really take some practice and shoot out of the blind. That's another thing we did not adequately prepare for. We shot standing up. We shot the deer. We shot like you'd normally shoot at like a range. And oh, then yeah. when we finally got to the blind and we're like, oh, crap, we got to stand <laughs> up and draw. We can't just sit here and shoot. Well, and it's not like fully up either. Well, it depends on the blind. You're probably like kind of half we'll squat. over. Yeah. Mess. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's that right there is such a big takeaway is like if you're going to shoot from a blind, you got to practice from a blind. That will be put in practice this season for (laughs) sure. Yeah. Oh, man. So you've been at it for three years. You know, in in your time period, what what gear has really stood out to you of like, oh, man, I'm so glad I had that. I was more comfortable. I was more efficient. Like, tell me about some bow hunting gear that really stands out to you. Honestly, my go-to is a good pair of pants. I have a nice pair of Sitka pants. I'm, let me look up the name real quick. But it's their, like, top-of-the-line hunting pants. And they're waterproof. They're good. I got them when I was living out west for an elk hunt. Oh. And just having pants that are waterproof, little bit of insulation, it makes it so much better. Because I've hunted with essentially just camouflage jean pants before. And yeah. when they get wet. When they're cold, there's nothing more miserable than that, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. In addition to that, a good pair of gloves, a good hat, and a good pair of boots. Just if you're not enjoying your time in the field and you're cold and miserable, it's going to affect your hunt, whether you're shooting with a rifle or with a bow or with a shotgun. Yeah. No, you're – do those pants have the knee pad inserts? Yes. I'm, I'm on sick right now. I'm trying to find the same one so I can get a name so I, I've got a pair of Carhartts and I use kind of around, you know, you know, working on cars and mm-hmm. ch- outdoor chores and working in the yard and stuff. And they've got these thin, thin padded, like hexagon knee pads that I slip into the pant and they're a game changer and they're heavy as all get out. And I could maybe waterproof them a little bit. I, I'm really tempted to bring those out on a hunt this year. That might be worth it. So the ones I have are the Traverse pant. I have them oh, okay. around a size large so I can um, throw on some sweatpants under over my um, long johns underneath for an extra oh. layer. I find that to help a lot. But yeah, I've gone with some Cabela's pants before, some Under Armors. And around here, there's a lot of thick underbrush, a lot of prickers and yeah. small trees that'll tear up pants. And the Cabela's ones got torn up pretty quickly, as did the Under Armors. So I finally made that jump when I lived out west of the Sitkas. Yeah. And they haven't let me down. Well, that's, yeah, that's, man, I'll tell you, I felt like I have dealt more with the stickers coming in my boots between mm-hmm. the pant more. And even just getting a good gator has been life changing for me this last season. Yeah, so before I was at Loa, especially in the East Coast where you don't really have to move for your hunts, Mm -hmm. muck boots or a high pair of Cabela's, just a thick rubbers with like pretty heavy insulation have been my go-to just because they could take a beating. But the minute you start moving, they make a ton of noise and they're not really comfortable to hike in all day long. You see a lot of the muck boots on like the Alone show. I swear everyone goes out there and... I mean, I know some people who swear by them. Yeah. 
They're more no complaints, just not my go-to. Yeah, behind my house, we actually have a WMA for like waterfowl and pheasant. Okay. And so like from November to December, I can go pheasant hunting like two miles from my house. It's awesome. awesome. <laughs> so you got to get some muck boots on for that. So the muck boots have been awesome for that because it's mucky, pun intended. <laughs> I mean, it's gross and you're just, you're in it. You're in such slop. But oh, yeah. yeah. Muck boots and a nice pair of bibs for that for sure. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit, you know, back to the bow, you know, what, what is your art, what does your practice look like? What, what's really helped you be a more efficient shot? Just trying to do a daily practice where I live in New York is pretty suburban. Like I said earlier, Mm. but there used to be this park behind my house. Well, not directly, but I'm probably like a half mile away through the woods. So I used to be able to go up there and they had an old abandoned baseball field. And I could go there and I could shoot my bow. But recently they've redone the park. So you can no longer go and shoot your bow unless you want someone to call the police on you because there's going to be people there all the time, which is a super big issue for me because that was my go-to practice spot. Uh. So there's an indoor range near us, which I go to sometimes, but I really haven't. The first two years I was practicing maybe two, three times a week. And not long practice sessions, maybe shoot three or four shots and then call it a day, go inside, just work on my breathing, work on different ranges. But this last year, I've dropped the ball when it comes to practice. I've maybe practiced once since the new year. Yeah. Tell me about your release. What kind of release are you using? How's that been? Um, I'm actually grabbing. I'm not the best in terminology with all this bow stuff. I have my bow right here. Let's see it. I'm excited. Check this thing out. D- dive into the gearbox. Pull out the. Gotta have. Gotta have some gear talk, and I'm excited to talk more boots too. Yeah, that'll be fun too. So again, I'm not the best with the bow brand names. I'm bow hunted, but just a standard wrist, wrist release, release on the strap for the trigger. I went for I when I was getting the bow hunting. The guy was trying to sell me on the one which has the continuous metal piece as opposed to the band. Yeah. But I found the band actually a little bit nicer in terms of flexibility and moving my wrist. So I went with that one. Yeah, because I'm looking at mine. I've got the metal, like, bar. Yes. I. It's so funny. My bow is hanging above my desk, and I'm looking for my release and I cannot find it. And I always attach my release to my bow. So that's a scary thing. Oh, it's on my other bow. I've got two bows. That freaked me out for a second. The release is a little important, right? Oh, a little bit, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. How's been like, you know, avoiding punching the trigger. What kind of practice have you done for that? You know, like that smooth release, uh, you know, tell me about Um, that a little bit taking a deep breath and doing a little count and just trying to move my finger with the count as opposed to jerking it. Oh, uh, a nice smooth motion I find works for me. It's the same way I do when I shoot long distance, just deep breath, just controlled finger movements. Yeah. That, fo- nice that follow through feels wrong to me um, mm-hmm. for the longest time. Cause like, it's almost like you're pushing your hand forward with the bow. You're pulling backwards and you kind of do this like spread eagle thing with your arms and you see it all the time on videos and it just looks wrong to me. Cause I'm like, well, if you do that, 
isn't that going to affect the arrow? Like it looks wrong in my head, Yeah, but it is so right. And, and once I figured that out, I felt like that was a big, you know, just that break, right? That breakaway. So the biggest thing for me that helped improve my shot was for a while I was strangling the bow and just easing up my grip, uh, cupping it lightly. And just that helped improve my shot by leaps and bounds. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Um, what kind of arrows are you shooting? Broadheads? Tell me a little bit about your setup. So I use a broadheads. I'm running a bear species. Move it to 60 pound draw. Um, just a standard broadhead. It's really all you need for whitetail. I don't really need anything crazy like you'd need to bring down an elk. Yeah. Are you doing like a, a fixed or a mechanical? Fixed. I I have some mechanicals. I've never used them. Uh, do you have a good experience with them? or? Yeah. Early on, you know, I got really uh, sucked into the rage hypodermic marketing. I mean, mm. it just looks wicked, right? You're just oh, like, oh, my. like something out of Star Wars. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I'm like, I'm thinking like Terminator, right? I'm like, dude, that thing's going to tear some noise up. So, uh, yeah, so I kind of started off with mechanicals because I was like so excited about it, and I liked the idea of things moving. I just thought that mm-hmm. was like really cool, and so killed a few deer with them, and then shot like an epic buck, like a big okay. four by four in velvet on opener, like two hours into opener, mm-hmm. and just the wildest hunt, and um, shot it. It was a good shot. It was a little high. But the darn blades, I could tell they didn't open. And so it was like a half-inch cut, you know. Did you walk it off? And I could not recover recover it. It was terrible blood trail. It was like drops for like 200 yards. And then it was just, I could not. So that, you know, you have one of those bad experiences and you're like, dang. And so since I've moved to fixed, Mm -hmm. it's just like a hard-hitting, like, guarantee. Like, there's... There's just little, oh, ex- yeah, exactly. There's that's one thing I've stuck with the fixed is it's worked for how many years it hits like a truck, yeah, and especially because a white tail's a lot smaller than an elk, it's more than enough to bring the bad boy down. Yeah, so that's been about mine. And then I'm shooting like a five millimeter arrow. I switched from the four mil, that really skinny micro diameter. I think those are good for elk for sure. Like when I do more elk, I'll switch over to that, but I've got the five mil and it's just consistent. What are you hunting now that you put the five mil on? Just deer. Yeah. Just muleys. Do you guys have whitetail out there? We do. Yeah. I've actually shot mostly whitetail. The muleys I haven't gotten into a ton. Okay. But um, yeah, the thing I like about it is the accuracy feels a little bit more consistent than the four mil, but the four mil is like, see, that thing's like a space rocket. I mean, it is just it flies. Boom. How does it keep its um trajectory? <laughs> and that's, that's a bit of the, the thing that I found is, okay. You know, the trajectory is like the accuracy and things, um, I get a little bit more worried when you start really tearing things apart and comparing mm-hmm. the five mils. I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the drawing board a little bit. I think I'm going to do another comparison and, and okay. see how they do. But 
I did something about two years ago where I was diving in deep into that. And I, it was just a clear as day of a difference between the fives and the fours. And I was like, okay. you know, so yeah, I, I've done more fives. But Are you running primarily the carbon arrows? Yeah. Yeah. I'll do like, I've got, I'm, I'm really stuck into the gold tips. I, I okay. just love that brand. They're sturdy. Um, I just like how, how they are. I, I really, that's what I use myself. I don't know the width of my arrows. I haven't pulled them out and old and looked at that. But yeah. I think the last pack I bought in for Hunter XTs. Yeah. Those are great. That's a, gr- that's yeah. a five mil. Yeah. Okay. Five mil really good arrow for sure. And, you know, when you're buying all this stuff for the first time, you're just like, Oh my gosh, what else do I need to buy? It, it's that nice was, to not spend so much. It was definitely, I went out, I had the bow I wanted to get and I get there and I'm a taller dude, a little bit bigger dude. I'm six, four. So mm. long draw. And the Hoyt that I wanted, they did not have in a draw line that fit me. And the only bow they ended up having in a draw length that fit me was the bear species. So I got, I want a bow. I'll grab this. Grabbed it, grabbed some arrows, got the release, got a target. And just, it was a big day for my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what else do you need? Exactly. Oh, man. No, that's, yeah. So it's it's fun to dive in and, you know, figure out fletchings and wraps and, you know, it's just on and on sites. So. That's a whole side of it I've not dived into yet. One thing you might, and this is something that I really liked, uh, someone told me, was having your arrows fletched with the right helical. So it just adds that slight spin. Mm-hmm. Not something you'll find with accuracy and consistency. Okay. Um, helical is fun. Yeah. Okay. And it looks wicked too. Like it looks so cool. It's got the little little twirl of the the fletching so that's that could be fun for you all right so it's called Uh, right helical right helical give that a try and your shop will know what that's all about they do it every day and um just see like shoot non-helicals and then the right helical Mm -hmm. and yeah that's that's a the fun thing to try um just anything that can step up my game with it something I, i have to stick with to get better so yeah, you'll notice a big difference there. And then what site do you got? Uh, just a standard that came with the bear. Okay. Bear or anything. That was my other kind of level up too, is like getting a stabilizer and a really good site that is okay. easy to adjust, but also does micro adjustments. So, you know, when you have your Allen and you like mm-hmm. loosen it and you're just sliding that thing and it's not super precise. Oh, it's not. It's like, oh. That was too much. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing. I have adjusted twice, and both times I was way more than I needed to. Yeah. So I do the black gold verdict. And okay. what you're looking for in a site is micro pin adjustment. Okay. And you'll loosen the Allen, but then you twist this thing, and it's like on a track. Mm-hmm. And it's like click, 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 click. And so you can do two clicks. You can do one click. Six click, like it's sweet. It's so cool. So essentially the track is what's moving. So it's not going to drop and slide the minute. Oh, that does sound very it's, helpful. Oh, it. Yeah. When someone told me about micro pen adjustment, I was like, what is this sorcery? Tell me more. I think I might have to order another one of those. You're giving me all sorts of new toys to grab. <laughs> sorry. sorry but, you're like, no, you're like I, <laughs> we got nice weather coming. It's perfect time to be standing in the yard 
I know. Oh, and then going to the range and shooting. I have no complaints at all. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, so how long have you been at Loa Boots? So two years now. Oh, cool. So not that long, but not brand new either. Yeah. So y'all sent me that Tibet GTX boot, which has just been a powerhouse. I mean, this thing is is so, so good. Um I've been able to get it in, in a lot of mixed weather too. I mean, it, we've had such an extended winter. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like dying to get out. So I've just been going out and, you know, tromping around in the snow with them too. And they, they're handling it really well. Tell me more about the debate. It's definitely, would you say it's more of like your Mercedes of, of the boot so line? The Tibet is our flagship backpacking mountain hunting, it's a Clydesdale. It's a workhorse. Yeah. It's a tough boot. It takes some time to break in, but after you break it in, it's going to go through anything. Like you said, it has that continuous, nice, thick, seamless leather. And then yeah. it's that heavy rubber rand. It's great support underfoot. It's great support around your ankle. I would say it's probably my favorite out of the boots we make. It's a beast. Yeah. And, so I have the Hunter, which is just a 10-inch insulated version. Okay. And I wear it all the time in the winter around here. I wear it on all my hunts where I'm really moving. And it goes through the undergrowth. It grows through streams. It goes through thorns. It has no issue at all with anything. Yeah. Yeah. It. How do you go about selecting a boot? I mean, Loa has such a wide range. I mean, there's so many options. So for me, it really comes down to time in the season and then where I will be hunting. Mm. Like early season archery, we have one of my other favorite boots that I is actually like an everyday wear for me. It's called the Renegade 2 Gore-Tex High. Huh. And it is a super comfortable boot, one that I wear to work every single day, essentially. It has great support and it breaks in quickly. It has that nice leather upper. It does have a seamed leather, and that's designed so it has a closer fit to your foot, which feels great. But it's not as durable as the Tibet for sure. But on early season days where you don't need something that heavy, it's not as muddy. And especially if I had a boot that I recommend for a lighter environment of spot and stock, it would be that Renegade. It moves so well. That is cool looking. Yeah, I'm seeing that thing. And it is insulated? Just the Gore-Tex liner. Oh. Same thing as the Tibet, though. Tibet just has, like, Gore-Tex liner. Okay. Yeah. And the Gore-Tex liner, some people say it doesn't increase your foot's temperature at all. I have a pair of little boots, older ones, I use for cutting the lawn in the summer, and I feel that Gore-Tex liner, my foot definitely gets a little toastier mm-hmm. than it would in a non-insulated boot. Yeah, my feet run hot too. Like, what do you do for socks if you're kind of like if your feet run a little bit warmer? So, what kind of socks are you running now when you're doing any kind of hunting? You know, I'm I'm sticking with like a mid thick uh, merino. Um, okay. I trying to think what brand. This is gonna sound funny. I think I just have gotten a big pack of uh, Cabela's branded ones, like that are literally in that big. <laughs> metal basket right yeah. as you walk in. Hey, nice and cheap <laughs> you know it's like stock. yeah like five pairs for 20 bucks or something and then the 
trying to think. Oh, and then I found these really cool Carhartt socks that I've actually okay. enjoyed. So I'm not even like buying from actual sock companies, which is probably, you know, not great on my part, but mm-hmm. what would, what, what are you liking? Is there anything that sticks out to you? So I have two socks that I like quite a bit. One is a rogue fitness sock. It's super breathable. I use it for early season. It's a much lighter sock. Yeah. But it has padding in the right places to prevent you from getting any kind of discomfort when walking for a while. But it's super breathable. For later in the season, we make a sock at Loa called the Loa Renegade. Hmm. And I find it to be a little bit thicker of a sock. But it has great breathability. And I personally like my socks to go up taller than the boot does. I know some people don't. Yeah. But it's a nice high sock, great breathability. It has the great padding. And it's the merino wool, which everyone's such a big fan of. And it keeps your foot, especially on a long hunt when you're moving a lot in an insulated boot, if your feet do sweat, the sock doesn't get wet. It dissipates the moisture very nicely. That renegade looks interesting. It's got uh, zoning on it. Yes. What the heck? So what that does is it's essentially padding in different areas to help your heel and just provide comfort around your tendons. And it's designed to be a sock that you can wear all day long and while helping your foot out on the hike. <laughs> you guys are probably like, yeah, this is uh, normal, Adam, um, because you're talking to a guy who buys the bargain socks as you walk into a retailer. This is cool, though. Oh. I mean – and they're right, left specific. I don't see that a whole lot in socks. I'm always just like, so that's mm-hmm. cool. So it just is really how they taper the toe and the slant. So it fits you very well. It doesn't get any bunching. It doesn't slide around. How long do you feel like these, you know, because socks, like, I'm always, and this is my where my head goes. It's like, maybe I'm skimping too much on these. But how, how long do you feel like you really get a good lifespan out of socks if you're, you know, 20 days in the field? A year, so, 20, 30 days. The Loa Renegade sock has only been out for maybe eight months. So I haven't really been able to put it through its paces like that yet. Yeah. But on the three days of hunting that I've worn it and then going to the gym, jogging, it's held up. There's no fraying, no patches coming through. My toe hasn't poked through yet. So <laughs> it's holding up. The big thing I like for a sock is that like, and it looks like you're not using as much Merino. It's actually 48% Merino. And then you got yes. the polymide Iron. and the elastane. No, excuse me. My thing with socks is I just want it to keep uh, staying on my foot, like not uh, bunching or getting loose. Yeah, no, I don't have any issues with that. That's one nice thing about the elastic is it stays. There's nothing worse than when you're hiking along, especially when you have a pack and you're not in an area you can take your boot off and your stock starts sliding, getting bunched up under your foot, bunched up around your ankle. These ones stay exactly where you put them. So is this Renegade, this is kind of a big staple for you guys then? This is this is new. So it's meant to be our jack of all trades sock. If you want to go into a sock that's a little bit heavier, a little bit better designed for backpacking or a heavy pack we have the trekking sock we have the four seasons which is kind of aimed at being our military duty sock it's kind of another jack of all trades just in more duty colors and then we have the winter pro sock which is our insulated sock for cold weather 
it's funny, you know, I was so stoked to bring you on. I really wanted to dive into boots and whatnot, but now I'm like going down the rabbit hole of socks. No. Dude, definitely you guys- when, when we get off this, shoot me your boot size and I'll send a pair of renegades out to you so you could try them. This, this is so cool. I mean, I um gosh, this is this is fun. This is you guys have a killer sock program. I, I just did not even, I just thought low up boots. You guys have been going for a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, this is our hundred year anniversary. Wow. That's a, not too many brands are hitting that mile mark. No. And it's, it's a big thing for us this year. We have a lot of new products dropping. We have a lot of new stuff in the pipeline. And we've been able to adapt and keep our head above water while meeting consumer needs and staying true to what we feel the brand is for these last hundred years. We haven't really sold out. We've continued to make boots the way they've been making them in Germany. Yeah. You know, I think of another big brand that's been around a long time. It's Columbia Sportswear. Mm-hmm. Nin- 1938 is when they started. And they they just, this year is 85 years. Yeah. No, and, and you guys have been going a hundred. I mean, that's, that's take a minute to fathom that. I mean, that's just some heritage. Oh, hundred percent. And if you just think back to what's happened in the world since 1923, in terms of innovation in every field, in terms of time, just so much hundred years, you got world war two, put a man on the moon, the internet, <laughs> Quite a big jump for people in those last hundred years. TikTok. Oh, dang, that is a pinnacle. I don't, how can I say put a man on the moon when we have TikTok? <sighs> yeah, I was just thinking back to that Seinfeld commercial where he's talking about, he's like, I wish we would have never landed on the moon because now we compare everything to that. That is true. And nothing comes close. <laughs> he's like, we should have never landed on the moon because like you go, like, you go on a flight. Right, and you get Wi-Fi, and then the Wi-Fi is spotty, and it's like we can put a man on the moon, but my yeah. Wi-Fi is spotty. With analog computer. <laughs> <laughs> now my own my cell phone. Yeah, no, I think one of the craziest things is the fact that like the modern smartphone has more commute computing power than like all of NASA when they put someone on the moon. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad oh. I used this for Instagram and Facebook. This is really further <laughs> humanity. We're really killing it over here. Oh my gosh. Oh, that is crazy. Um, Well, love, love the sock program. It looks like uh, I'm just looking under loaboots.com. So check this out. It's under accessories and socks. Say, yeah, I I really thought, you know, I mean, obviously the footwear is, is so strong with you guys. And, but uh, yeah, really, really cool to see because I, I feel like that's another piece of the equation that people like me kind of flop on because it's like, oh, whatever, five pack for 20, you know. No, especially I have gone on hunts and not had proper footwear. Yeah. When I was a nice, cheap college student living out in Wyoming and I finally got residency so I could buy an over-the-counter elk tag, I spent all my money on that Sika suit. And I'm like, huh, I had these nice L.L. Bean boots, but they were by no means meant for side hilling in the Rocky Mountains while chasing uh, elk. And the blisters that I got on that hike were oh. so horrendous. And then from then on, footwear has been super important. And that's something I should have realized before. But now, especially working for a footwear company, you just see how much a good pair of boots can improve your day in the field 
whether you're in the Southwest, the Pacific Northwest, or the South, there's a boot for, especially here at Law, we make a boot that can help you hunt in all of those environments. Oh, man. Yeah. Holy cow. I you think back to my backpacking days and mm-hmm. I've climbed Mount Rainier twice and, okay. you know, all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I was getting on these 12 day hikes and we were actually using a trail runner. Uh, this is back when I was probably 16, 17 years old. And okay. we were just using like a trail running low cut shoe. And again, like I didn't know how to manage the heat of the, mm-hmm. of my feet. And I was just like, well, I need something like super breathable. And, but I'm just so grateful. I didn't like rip apart my ankles from no support, you know, definitely as when you're younger, you're indestructible. Like I have climbed in the Adirondacks. <laughs> we have all these high peaks and it's nothing compared to Mount Rainier. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm climbing. I'm in a pair of Nikes, a pair of a six with a nice 50 pound pack on my backpack and a 10. It's no issue at all. Yeah. But, now when your joints start to hurt and you need stability you don't bounce back as fast definitely come maybe an actual hiking boot would have been a little more ideal than my gym shoe that i repurposed for that yeah but no that's still something we see a lot is i've one of our reps in montana talks about guys who take down elk with the inox which is essentially a sneaker on steroids and my thought is maybe (laughs) if you're riding in or you have a atv or something to help you pack it out but I cannot picture carrying down freaking quarters of an elk and essentially a, a midnight sneaker with a little bit more juice to it. Yeah. Like you start going downhill and you start side hilling and you're one step away from a broken ankle. Yeah. I mean, I'm even looking at your uh, Alpine expert. This thing okay. is cr- it's cramp on compatible. That's nuts. Yes, so your Tibets can take strap on crampons. The okay. Alpine expert can handle stepping crampons like a true mountaineering boot yeah so the real things i know in that email you said that you felt that the tibet was a little big in the toe box for you right a little clunky yeah so like street shoe i'm ten and a half okay and i'm in a ten and a half with these is that sizing match up right or should i have so it, it comes to get the best fit with our boots we recommend the brannock device so if you go to any local shoe store that metal device to measure your foot in that's what we base our boots on got it Street shoes like sneakers, tennis shoes, don't compare the best over to boots. It just they're, they're built completely differently. All the materials mm. are different. And one other thing is that Tibet, like we talked about, it has that big rounded one-piece toe, mm. which is great if you have a wider foot with a little bit more volume. But if your foot doesn't need all that space, it can feel like you're swimming in there. Oh, okay. Is that, I mean, is that like a personal preference thing or you think I'll be fine though, right? It's just more of, okay, I have a little bit more space in there. So do you find yourself, like, do you think your are your toes sliding and hitting the front of the boot or are you locked back in that heel pretty well? I'm locked back in the heel. Thankfully. Okay. Yeah. So you don't find your toes um, rubbing uncomfortably, really, it's not flexing in a bad part of your foot when you bend down? No, none of that. So it's actually probably fine. I I also wonder too what that could do with that extra space, if it kind of helps with air circulation or again, you know, with a little bit warmer feet. I feel like. Oh yeah, and also if you ever need to throw those insulated socks on, it's another thing which you'll notice when people are uh, buying socks is socks are all different thicknesses. So if yeah. your boot fits one way with one sock, it's going to fit differently with another sock. I feel like how I've spent so much time knock tuning my arrows and trying mm-hmm. to like figure all that out. 
I feel like I need to do this with my footwear and be like, okay, I'm going to go light, mid, heavy, try all these different combinations and just figure this out. Cause this is, I mean, this truly is game changing because it's your hunts start with your feet. <laughs> it's like, Oh, hundred percent. And I think my best way to make people think about it is if you have a good day out in the field yeah, and your body hurts, your feet hurt, you might not go back out there. But if you feel good after that good day, you're going to go. There's going to be nothing stopping you. You only have so many days to hunt a year. You might as well yeah. be properly equipped to actually hunt all of them and not be miserable. Like it's supposed yeah. to be your hobby. It's not meant to be a chore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like let's skimp on the yard work clothing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You need a new pair of dress shoes? Probably not. Right. Yeah. Because you can rip that stuff off and, you know, muscle through. A few so. hours. How often do you wear your dress shoes now? But oh. <laughs> Dude, my, my last pair of dress shoes I bought at like a thrift shop for $6. Oh, yeah. At the last <laughs> wedding I went to, I just polished a black pair of cowboy boots. I'm like, I'm not buying dress shoes for this wedding. This is I'm not spending any source of money because they're going to sit in my closet for probably ever now. I got arrows to buy, y'all. Yeah, I'm born things. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I would definitely say from my own experience, having an early season and then a late season boot is a game changer. It's one boot doesn't do everything. They're all designed to fill a certain niche. Like your Tibet with that Gore-Tex liner is a heavy boot to be wearing, checking trail cams, scouting for anything that you're not really in super dense, difficult terrain. You're not doing a lot of side hilling. You don't have a heavy pack. You can be served just as well by a hiking boot. You don't need that kind of support. And then that's lightweight, so you're moving better. And then it's also sometimes it's just easier to move in something that's lighter on your feet, especially when it's 80 degrees outside. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Do you normally just run one boot for the whole season? Yes. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because it's like I, I am making a lot of rookie mistakes. No, help hey, me. you know more about the archery end. I can help you with the boot end. You help me with the archery. Dude, we're unstoppable together. Yeah, exactly. Oh my but gosh. No, I would definitely recommend. When does archery season start out in Utah? Late September. You know, mid August is when it starts. Oof. That's so. You guys are lucky out there. Yeah. I would definitely – I'm not familiar with the part of Utah that you mentioned earlier. Is it as arid? I've only really been to southern Utah. Is it arid? Is it more like um, high pines? Um, semi-arid. I mean, and I actually hunt – I've hunted down in Moab where it's like you're, you're you know, a couple thousand feet above the, the desert sandstone. Um, it's pretty dry, I'd say. Yeah. So I would definitely grab a second pair earlier season. When it comes, do you do a lot of your packing out by yourself or do you have like an ATV or a UTV kind of thing that helps you out? You know, it's a mix. Like it depends. Um, yeah, I, I do have a UTV and I okay. absolutely love hunting with it. You know, it gets me back in there pretty good. And then I take it the, the you know, the next um, mile or two, depending on where, where it can get me. The other thing I've been doing is e-biking a lot and really? having a ton of fun on the e-bike. Holy smokes. I, I've been on an e-bike now going into my third season 
And man, the access you can get on those darn things is just mind blowing. Super fun. So do you have like special tires, like dirt bike tires on there? Or are you just running a straight e-bike and just pushing it through? You know, they are fat tires. So okay. it's, a, it's a fat bike, essentially. Um, okay. I, I do the quiet cap and okay. the surface area you get with the fat tire is so great for traction. And I think if you're on that little skinny e-bike tire, like more, I guess, traditional e-bike, that's what was I, in my head. So I was like, I can't see that. All right. This definitely looks yeah. a little more like what I was thinking. Yeah. The tire exactly is called the juggernaut. And it it's like it sounds. It's, it's total beast town. It's the Tibet GTX of tires. And so I, I've been on these things. I've done a couple hundred miles on an e-bike, honestly, in the backcountry. Um, the tricky part is when you hit snow. I didn't know this, but you can just lower the PSI. Oh, you get more coverage. You just you just roll over anything. I, I thought I had to if do like ever in sand, take some PSI out. It gets you the more um, area coverage on the ground. So nice, so so nice. So yeah, that's been kind of fun. Um, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, honestly. I'm, I'm doing just a little bit of everything. So yeah, I would definitely grab them. Um, we'll talk after this, but about. Finding a pair for some early season gives you more mobility. It's lighter. My recommendations, I'm a big fan of those Renegades, but also the conditions I hunted in the East are a little bit less, so I can handle that multi-piece, like the paneled upper with a lot of stitching. Yeah. We have a couple other boots, like the R8, which is essentially the same sole package and support system as the Renegade, but it's a one-piece toe, and then it's split leather, which is like a suede as opposed to the Nubuck leather, but it really does not harm it at all. But yeah, we can... Because that, when you're wearing that lighter boot, it just feels better. It flexes better if you're moving more and it's hotter. And then one other thing you can look at is I know some people, especially in the Southwest, move away from the Gore-Tex for their early season boot because it's still so arid. Mm-hmm. And they get a boot that's just synthetically lined so your foot can breathe. The downside of that is if you're ever fording rivers or you're crossing something or it is raining, your foot will get wet. But on the other days, say if it is super hot, your body... It can breathe much easier than it could in a boot with Gore-Tex lining. Oh, okay. Interesting. All this good stuff, man. This is like exactly what I wanted. I mean, it's, yeah, diving into all this goodness. I love it. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, it gives me so much to work with. And, and hopefully those listening are in the same boat of like, just kind of challenging ourselves a little bit of like, is my system that good? You know, like, let's, let's think about this the right way. And so I think you've given me and, and those listening, just an incredible overview. I love it. Um, let me ask you this, you know, you still, you know, within three years of bow hunting, what advice would you give to bow hunters just kind of starting out just based on your experience? Probably the best tip I could give is if you're going to be hunting from a blind, practice shooting from a blind. Because when that shot comes along, you're going to be one, you're going to want to be prepared to take it. Other than that, just practicing with your bow, getting comfortable with it. So when your heart is racing and excited to make that shot, you're still smooth and clean. And then if you have the opportunity and you're hunting on private land, walking the property that you're hunting, getting to know it, 
getting to know the pass through it, seeing especially the white tail, they move in the same paths pretty consistently. So you can find the deer trails, placing your blind in a position that is within your kill radius. Like the first year we hunted, we still had our blinds and tree stands in a location that was set up for rifle and shotgun, mm. which is well outside of the kill radius of a bow. So making sure you're adjusting for that. And then for me, probably the biggest push in bow hunting was having a buddy to do it with. We both uh-huh. jumped in at the same time and someone to hold you accountable for getting that target in. Um, saying, hey, they pull your shoulders apart further, work on your draw, work on your breathing, work on your release. Having someone to be there and critique me and help push me to the next level was something that I found immeasurably helpful. Yeah. How do you feel like that's different with rifle? You know, like the hunting buddy factor. The issue, bow hunting, I don't mind hunting with a buddy because your chance, my chance of a kill has been 0% so far, but normally you have a much shorter range of engagement. So if someone misses, someone else is there to take the shot, it's not really an issue. Mm -hmm. Versus with rifle, I've been shooting since I was probably in sixth grade. And not to pat myself on the back, but if I'm shooting from a fixed position, I'm a pretty darn good shot. And so a white-tailed deer at 100 yards, if I'm shooting from a fixed position with an optic, nine times out of ten, barring extending circumstances, that's that. Yeah. With a bow, if I miss, there's someone else trying to take the shot. So then back to the gun scenario, if someone's there with me, what are they going to do? The minute you shoot, every other deer in the vicinity is going to move. And then kind of takes away from the whole buddy aspect, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, that's no, that's fair. I love that. I think, yeah, you gave really good points on, yeah, having those connections with others. And um, no, I love that. That's great. Um, and then kind of to wrap up here, you know, we talked a little bit about Loa hitting that 100 year mark, but with your time being there, what are the big things that stand out to you of like what Loa's doing, where they're headed? What, I mean, just that incredible heritage they have. What, what stands out to you of how they've made an impact? The innovation. They continue to look for new materials, new ways to improve fit, new ways to improve comfort, new ways to improve support. And every time they get feedback, they apply it. Mm. I feel like you get some companies who are older who get set in their ways. This has worked. This is how we do it. This is what we're building. But the development team over in Germany is constantly looking for ways to make boots lighter, make the material tougher, improve the amount of time you can have them on your feet. And we're also looking at expanding. Like we have a running line coming out for the first time ever. Well, not the first time ever, but for the first time in a while, we're releasing a running line, which will be out later this spring, early summer. No way. Filling in those gaps. Because, like you said, you have so many people now who do everything in a running shoe from walking the dog to climbing a mountain to going to work (laughs) that shoe has become a jack of all trades and yeah it's an insane statistic it's something like almost 90 percent of running shoes people never run in they just buy as everyday shoes yeah so by just continuing to innovate continuing to adapt the existing boots we have and bring them into the new era with new technologies and new designs we've managed to stay current And then we've also stayed true to what made Loa great. And that has allowed us to keep bringing customers back. When they buy a boot, 
that lasts them for multiple seasons, that doesn't fall apart, that is quality worksmanship, that has that nice PU sole package for support underfoot. Just all those things combined to build boots and build a company that helps people enjoy the product more versus a cheaper boot from a, not not to say a cheaper company, but a company that makes cheaper boots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's a great overview. I, I love that. And that's cool. I'll watch for the running thing. I mean, obviously in the off season, we got to, got to cross train and, and prepare. And exactly. So exactly. that's killer. That is one thing I noticed when I hunted out West is I lift weights a lot. My cardio definitely could improve. And when I was walking up and down those mountains, I thought my lung was going to fall out. <laughs> yeah. No, was, absolutely. I I just want to point out too, with such a long history in the, in the industry and the fact that like you guys are doing running shoes, which sounds like maybe you're bringing back. I, I don't remember Loa doing much in running. So we so. did a brief stint in running. I want to say early to mid 2000, like 2000, 2005, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. And I don't think it went that well. So the kind of got back shelved back into development. And this is our second foray into it. But I think that's so interesting that, you know, cause you look at Loa and how they go all in on what they know. And it's like, pretty intense outdoor travel mm-hmm. right and i think it's kind of cool that you maybe have held off on run and and refined and refined and refined i see so many companies that are just trying to be everything to everyone and when you when you see loa and you see those boots on the shelf it's just kind of like okay those stand for something it's so they they just have a different kind of message um so i think it's kind of cool that maybe you guys held off a little bit uh, to launch run. Cause I think so many companies are like, Oh sweet. Yeah. Shiny ball, go after it. And then it's yeah, kind of subpar. We made sure we did a lot of development, a lot of product testing. Yeah. Like right now we got the first group into the U S and it's just all the employees are wearing them. Like I'm going to wear mine to the gym this afternoon. Cool. And just giving the feedback on fit, giving the feedback on material on underfoot feel. And just we're learning with it as we go. It's our first time doing the running shoes in a while. So they're not going to be perfect right out the gate. But we added a couple new technologies that we've adapted from our mountaineering and our backpacking lines. So personally, I'm a big fan. Awesome. Well, if uh, people want to learn more, loaboots.com is the place. Um, Anywhere else where they can check out the boots and learn more? So lowboots.com is our webpage. We have dealers all throughout the U.S. Just to name a couple off the top of my head, you have Camp Saver, REI, Camo Fire, Bakers up in Oregon. And if you're interested in finding a boot store near you, if you go on our webpage and go over to more, you can go down to USA Retailers, click on that, and then just type in your zip code, and that'll bring up all the stores near you to carry our product. Nice. There you go. Love it. Yeah. No, that's super great. Well, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll keep trekking along in, in the GTX and uh, let you know how things go. I'm, I'm just been loving the experience so far and, and look forward to refining my sock game. It's all right. I, it's part of it. You can't yeah. ignore it. 100%. Thank you for having me on. 
<laughs> and hopefully I'm going to get those new, I'm going to get a new site, get some new arrows and just keep practicing. And hopefully this will be the air. Awesome. Well, have a great, have a great season and, and thanks so much for joining. No problem. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been episode 66. I've had a uh, great to hear with Loa Boots and uh, yeah, super in, in formational and uh i learned a lot too so hopefully you did too make sure to check out huntworks.com huntworks is where you can learn more about the podcast buy a t-shirt first generation bow hunter t-shirt and if you use code fgb10 you get 10 bucks off as my gift to you as a listener and also i've got some blogs up on there and just some other information so scan around look for information to help you become a better bow hunter and uh yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. Take time to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. We get some reviews lately, and I really appreciate it because it really tells other people on iTunes that this is a good podcast, subpar. It's adequate. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. So thanks so much. We'll catch you on the next episode, and see you next time.